0: Good morning. <clears throat> it's February the 3rd, and I'm Weimala here in northern Illinois in Crystal Lake, not too far from Woodstock, Illinois, where the Blue Lotus Temple is, and where uh, the, uh, we have, a I think it's the 30th anniversary of <coughs> the movie Groundhog Day that Bill Murray made 30 years ago in Woodstock, Illinois. And so they had a big 30 year anniversary. I didn't go to it. I think half of it happened while I was still in Tennessee. But, um, the, uh, Patty Erickson, who's a good friend and, and on Facebook, uh, went with her family, some visiting kids, and they went to the Pub crawl and uh, very early yesterday morning, I think they were there when the groundhog Phil they they almost reenact the groundhog movie in the square, uh, and he did uh, he didn't see a shadow, so I think we have six more weeks of winter, which is no surprise here. But uh, the pictures were great. Patty put several of them on Facebook. So, if you go to the city of Woodstock, Illinois, you can see the ground Groundhog fill and the singers and uh, the musicians in the square, and it's really cold, and people have their mugs of coffee, and it's very early in the morning. I'm imagining. So, uh, that's just a little. That's just a little of the history that makes Woodstock such a uh, kind of a fun a fun place, and the temple is just a block off the square. So we've had the city mascot come to things at the temple in the past and uh, join us for different, different events, listen to some chanting, and a lot of good memories, a lot of good people in, the, in Woodstock. So today, back to our book, it's Robert Thurman's book, Wisdom is Bliss, and we're in the last chapters, and he's talking about samadhi, which is the, uh, samadhi is a word in Pali that we think of as concentration. It's the meditation that's, it's the, uh, it's the, I don't want to say deeper, it's as our mind becomes more stable. I like to think of a definition for samadhi as a stable mind. We've worked with our mind. We've worked with our senses and and our thinking. And we've worked with uh, understanding ourselves and and knowing ourselves better, and knowing our relationship to the world and to nature. And we're able to see things more clearly. And we've practiced mindfulness, and uh, working with the Eightfold Path, which this book is about. And then Samadhi is the the. Uh, deeper state of meditation that everything is leading up to, so it's a natural progression. It's not something that happens through special initiation or anything, but it's um, in the Theravadan tradition, but it's, it's part of the progression that we make as we begin to work with our minds. And we begin to see things more clearly and have more and more have right view about the world and and our part in it and connection to it. And so the meditation practice then becomes more and more samadhi because we have that stability. And that's that as our mind becomes more still and we can be more present at the the same time and uh, that's when we begin to have more and more insight and wisdom that comes from our practice. So, we've we've read the first part of it, and the last section we read was called Meditation Brings It All to Depth. And he defines uh, Vipassana and Jhana, And bhavana, which is the word for the Pali word for meditation. And the last thing we read, read, he talks about this is what I think is such an important sentence from the section before. When you understand something by reasoning intellectually, that is itself important, but the understanding needs to be brought down from head to heart. It needs to be realized, made real for your whole being, and that's what that's what uh, samadhi does. That's when we begin to, when we're everything that we learn on the Buddhist path. We have to d- go through this process. We can understand it intellectually, and then we have to bring it from the head to the heart. And as he he says, I love his words. It needs to be realized, made real. For your whole being. So here's the next section uh, under realistic samadhi, Cl- and what this is talking about one of our favorite topics in the Theravada tradition too, the four immeasurables, the four contemplations. Climbing up the heavens through the four immensities. The four immeasurable or immense contemplations Love, compassion, joy, and equanimity occur when lucid wakefulness brings you into full awareness of the imperfections of the desire realm so that you renounce the conscious levels of delusion, lust, and hate. You feel so much better in your own skin, hence automatically sympathetic or even empathetic about the condition of others who seem so obviously agitated from within by these impulses they cannot control and must blindly obey. This causes you to feel love for them, not possessive craving, but the natural wish for them to be happier since you have become, begun to feel happier yourself having found the cessation of suffering and letting yourself go into the welling up of pleasant sensations in your body and mind. As long as wakefulness is less than fully stable, you grasp at the slightest emergence of the pleasant, wanting it still more and thereby instantly cutting it off and turning it into an experience of the suffering of change. So, but we'll read that sentence again. It's really important. Uh, I'll read this paragraph again. The next sentence. When it becomes more stable, you are able to let it go on ungrasped. Let it flow through you. And so approach the zone of stable happiness known as the love immensity. Let me read that paragraph because I think that's an important that happens to us as long as wakefulness is less than fully stable you grasp at the slightest emergence of the press of the pleasant wanting it still more and thereby instantly cutting it off why because we're wanting it more we're grabbing at it uh, craving it and it cuts it off and turns it into instead an experience of suffering the suffering of change when it becomes more stable, you are able to let it go on ungrasped, let it flow through you and so approach the zone of stable happiness known as the law of immensity." I imagine most of us have had that experience, something we feel like, oh, we've arrived at some point in our practice. and. Isn't it great? And I want it to stay like this and and suddenly we realize it's gone because we've been grabbing for it, grasping it, craving it. The set of the four immense states of love, compassion, joy, and equanimity corresponds to what is referred to as the heavenly realm of desireless form. This realm of subtle, relatively boundaryless embodiment is known to be inhabited by celestial, purely-bodied deities, pure since complete in both male and female gender elements, hence free of desire for the opposite sex, natural celibates. Such pure divine states, however, are not an end goal for you as a bodhisattva seeking Buddhahood, though they are important for you to discover and access as part of your discovery of your own inner landscape. Outer cosmos reflects inner landscape. These immensities are also called the four contemplations. The factors enabling these contemplations are attentive consideration, careful analysis, physical fluency, mental bliss and one-pointed concentration which are the antidotes respectively of the five hindrances depression crippling doubt irritability agitation and lust we all know the five hindrances as you ascend from the full focus the full focus of lucid waking mindfulness to the level of feeling the release of inner freedom you mobilize one-pointedness to launch through the four immensities. And that one-pointedness is samadhi. In the first of these four contemplations, that of love, your inner contentment overflows with the feeling of love that surges towards beings who you sense are trapped in frustration and stress automatically wanting them to feel as happy as you do. You consider other beings stress compared with your relief, which in turn raises your energy. You analyze how they could be just as happy if they were more realistic. You develop a sense of fluency in your body and mental bliss arises, making agitation unnecessary. These factors propel your one-pointed concentration into the first zone of immensity, that of immense love that overflows from your own heart toward all other sensitive beings. Though this state of pure flow, its articulation in thought is, may all sentient beings have happiness and the cause of such happiness. Wouldn't it be nice if I could offer that? I must do so. So that's the, that's the, the articulation of the state is pure flow. I love that. But in terms of how we're thinking, moving into that state, may all sentient beings have happiness and the cause of such happiness. Wouldn't it be nice if I could offer that? I must do so. The flow state is immense, and you tend to dwell in it timelessly, and it is appropriately called a divine abode. When you fully realize it, you become aware that there are numerous divine beings, kind of like angels, who inhabit the same heavenly plains, not as meditating human like yourself, but as actual energy embodiments in that immensity, while you admire, their loving condition, you restrain yourself from joining them and getting stuck in that state. As you feel the state's remoteness from many levels of being, and you seek the Buddhahood that interconnects with all. And there he's talking about when we get into one of these beautiful states, we realize that we're also moving through them. We're not just staying in one because it feels good. We're, we're learning and we're experiencing them, but we're, we're not stuck there. After some time, as you were previously oriented with motivation to actually bring about your willed happiness, your consideration and analysis functions fulfill themselves by revealing that the beings themselves are not very happy already. They are suffering. Realizing that your heart gushing Immense love, excuse me, realizing that your heart gushing immense love moves you naturally into the second of the four, the immensity of compassion. Compassion here is the will to relieve the beings from their suffering and embrace their pains and agonies with the immensity of your flowing, loving happiness. Your flow state thus expands even further, leaves behind consideration and analysis, and abides even more fluently and blissfully in the immensity of compassion, articulated in the thought, and this is the thought when you're working with compassion, karuna, may all beings be free of suffering and have the causes of freedom from suffering. Wouldn't it be nice if I could offer that? I must do so. So, the thought is, may all beings be free of suffering and have the causes of freedom from suffering. Wouldn't it be nice if I could offer that? I must do so. After a timeless time in the divide boat of the compassion immensity Your sense of constriction within embodiment diminishes naturally. Your physical fluency becomes fulfilled in the immensity of bliss. Bliss that overwhelms a perception of constrictedness of beings and resonates with their own inner pleasantness, their own deeper reality of freedom from suffering. At this point, you ascend and expand into the third of the four, The bliss of the joy immensity. We call this mudita or sympathetic joy. So it's joy not only for yourself, but joy for the happiness and success of others. So at this point, you ascend and expand into the third of the four, the bliss of the joy immensity. The factors of consideration, analysis, and fluency all fulfilled in the divine abode, <clears throat> goodness, excuse me, in the divine abode of immense joy, articulated in thought as may all beings have the reality joy that is free of any suffering and the cause of such joy. Wouldn't it be nice if I could offer that? I must do so. So then we've, we we move on from one state in our practice, from from uh, loving kindness to compassion to joy, when we when we fill the space and need to naturally expand and move on, I love that the feeling of filling that space with our own desire to help those in, who are in in need of that help to understand their state of. Uh, to understand their their misunderstanding of the uh, of uh, the clarity we can find in nature and in wisdom teachings, may all beings. So here's here's the wording again for uh, joy or mudita. May all beings have the reality joy that is free of any suffering, and the cause of such joy. Wouldn't it be nice if I could offer that? I must do so. Finally, the bliss function becomes fulfilled and you ascend and expand into the fourth immensity, equanimity, or upekka in Pali, wherein you feel a timeless identification with the nibbonic reality of all beings. In this state of equanimity, you are close to transcending any sense of separateness of self, and others, and reach the plane of the divine abode of immense equanimity, where your love, compassion, and joy are completely shared equally with all sensitive life, where your expanded mind is at the plane of the high gods, the Brahma gods, and this fourth immensity is articulated as the thought, May all beings have the equanimity free of attachment to the dear and hostility to the strange and the causes of such equanimity. Wouldn't it be nice if I could offer that? I must do so. So he defines that equanimity, the equanimity free of attachment to the dear and hostility to the strange. So our feeling about all beings, it's, uh, earlier, he says it's a timeless identification with the nibbonic reality of all beings. In this state of equanimity, you are close to transcending any sense of separateness of self and others and reach the plane of the divine abode of immense equanimity where your love, compassion, and joy. Are completely shared equally with all sensitive life. So equanimity is sometimes hard to define, and I think this de- definition does a really good job of it. So our, we're not—we we we're, we see how everything, how connected we are. We lose that sense of self if we use our imagination to consider what it feels like. To attain such contemplative divine abodes. We can realize how tempting it must be for a yogi or yogini who reaches there to think that she or he has reached divinity, the highest possible state of a being. Liberation, divinity, and experiential oneness with all living beings and things So Diane is asking the question of these states' realms of consciousness. I think this is going to be the the part that tells us that. In fact, a yogi or yogini who is unprepared will definitely consider these bodes as far preferable to ordinary desire realm humanoid planes or even desire realm pleasure heavens and would be quite likely to choose rebirth in the court of great brahma, or even seek his throne. Alternatively, it is reported that there are four further more subtle states of disembodiment for the more sensitive and therefore ascetically inclined. The immaterial states are rather mediums as they go beyond relative spatiality of infinite space, infinite consciousness, seemingly nothing whatsoever, and beyond being either conscious or unconscious. These states may be even more seductive to one who is totally bent on having their own peace and quiet, seemingly permanently without any disturbance. As for the divine beings who embody this sense of immensity of the divine form realms, it is said that there are sixteen or seventeen <clears throat> heavenly planes that are the abodes of numerous pure body deities who have landed there out of attachment to these heavens beings in these realms have semi have subtle semi boundaryless bodies and use only three senses sight hearing and touch as they live on pure energy and have no need of taste and smell I think of them as gigantic energy whales who lack hard boundaries and sexual differentiation and just surge around feeling love, compassion, and joy as they merge in and out of each other. When they reach the seven last levels of equanimity, they verge on infinity where embodiment seems to vanish in a release free of any sense of loss. The yogis and yoginis who visit these realms in lucid wakefulness and the deities who have been reborn in these relatively lust-free, pure form realms are androgynous, self-aware, non-coarse physical bodies of bliss nurtured by pure energy immersion. And the graduations relate to varying degrees of subtlety until at the top level, The bodies are as close to pure light as can be, and still be a body. While these are wonderful states to be in, they are not the pure bliss of Nibbana, which is a kind of bliss that simultaneously and inconceivably interfuses with all other life forms, even the most dense and alienated by misknowing. So I can't. Uh, I'm not going to add any more than what uh, William uh, William Thurman's Robert Thurman says here. So uh, he's talking about these states as, in a way that's different from uh, the way we talk about them most of the time in the Theravadan tradition. He he talks about them definitely as states of consciousness, and we. We talk about them more as states of consciousness, but definitely moving through them and meditating with them and uh, practicing states of samadhi with them. So a lot of good questions. I'm not going to read any more today, I'm losing my voice for one. But I'd like us to sit for a little bit if you have time. Um, certainly talks about the importance of not getting caught up in any of those states because it can, they can, it can also be one of those traps where it feels so good. And, uh, as we're moving through them, we can, we can decide this feels so good. This must be it. And so we have to allow ourselves to, move through them and experience them. And I like the way he says that natural expansion and experience will help us move into the next state because we'll see that the the limits of the the state we're in. It might be a blissful state in our meditation practice that we've attained, but uh, the blissfulness is just to help us stay there to experience what we need, not to keep us there not to lock us in. So we keep moving through. So we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Hope Hopefully, I've, it's so cold here, and uh, I went to Madison yesterday to wish my son happy birthday, and got out in the Madison cold weather a little bit, but I think today I'm just catching up from that. So, um, why don't we sit together for a few minutes? And uh, this is a, this is a section where his teachings, well, how he's explaining it, are really beautiful. And then then uh, when he talks about the whale the whale like beings, I've never heard those. Uh, and he says that's how he imagines it, but I can't speak from any experience about that. So uh, I I don't this I'm reading Robert Thurman's uh take on these these uh states of meditation actually. But uh that his his writing is, is great. So it's very it's it's it makes you want to know more, it makes me want to know more and and compare it more with what I read about in the Pali Canon with uh with his Tibetan background and where those two come together. So it's fascinating. But we have to remember these are things we have to experience for ourselves. So uh, if you have experienced those states, that's uh, that's that's good. So why don't we sit together and just practice a little silence and uh, let your body... Lift up, roll your shoulders back. Even off the computer, I find it so easy for my shoulders to start, shoulders and neck to start coming forward. So open, you want to open the front of your chest more, rolling the shoulders back, lifting your spine up. And when you're sitting, uh, I have a tendency to let my head kind of roll back and try not to do that. When I keep imagining that uh, I was always taught and from the very beginning of my practice uh, to imagine that, you know, that cord running through, like coming out of the top of my head and just like a puppet and running all the way down the spine, just lifting up. Just Close your eyes if you can and just be aware of the body breathing. Just stay with the breath. Begin with yourself, send blessings to yourself. May I be well. May I be content and able to find joy and happiness in the world, finding it first within myself. May I be free of all suffering and the causes of that suffering. May I be at peace. Now think of a loved one Try to think of one person each day. May this loved one, this dear friend, this family member, this person that I'm remembering and thinking of right now, or dear pet, may my dear one be well, Be content and able to, to find that happiness and joy within. May this loved one be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May this loved one feel safe and be at peace. And these good wishes are our blessings. Wishing the good thoughts, letting go of any kind of negative or harmful thoughts towards anyone, ourselves or any other being. And now, if you have a challenging person, maybe someone you have to have a meeting with today, someone you need to talk to and you're not looking forward to it, think of your difficult person, the one challenging you. And may my difficult person be well, be content, be able to have happiness and joy within. May they feel safe in the world. And may they be peaceful. See them as someone just like you. and wish them well. And as we end, may all of us do all things today our actions, our speech, our thoughts. May they all be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all other living beings. So thank you. And if you can just continue to sit, if you have the time now would be good. Your mind is, your mind is calming down. You can just be with yourself.